Why did Jesus come to us? The simple answer in one word is love. Out of his deep love for humanity. Last week, we talked about how God creates the world and the world is perfect and the world is bound to God by trust. And God is sort of the, the, the he is the life of the world. Um, and just the same as when your TV is plugged in, it works. And if somebody trips on the power cable and unplugs it, it stops working. Like the electricity isn't in it. It goes dead. My phone is dead when the battery is dead and so on. The battery is empty. The same kind of thing as humanity breaks that trust relationship with God, then um, everything starts to fall apart. And God actually says to Eve, he says to her by death, you shall die by a process named death, which encompasses all of illness and, and all. And from the very next generation, we find Cain kills Abel and like the whole thing is falling apart. And as humanity chooses death, chooses against life, as humanity chooses that, God's response is not, well, see on the other side. You know, you ever had a, a like a, a friend who uh, was getting into a relationship, they ask you what you think and you tell them, I think this is a really bad idea. I think this guy's really not good for you. I think whatever. And then they decide to do it anyways. And they, you, you're like, dude, you're going to drag yourself through the mud, right? And they decide to do it anyways. And then you're at this junction. You have to decide. Do you like tell them, well, like, okay, man, you do you and I'll see you on the other side. Or do you say, I'm going to stick with this person. They're definitely dragging themselves through the mud and they're going to drag me with them. But those are the options, right? So God sees those options and he says, if you choose death, I choose to die as well. Well, how can God, the source of all life, die without himself becoming human? And so he comes and he becomes human. And probably the most quoted verse in the Bible, probably the most quoted verse in, 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 from all of the Gospels is probably this verse where Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And it's like, it, it's, it's like there's this God who would rather die, would rather see his only begotten son die, than part ways with humanity. That's kind of what we're Got, got what we're talking about. And, and um, St. Augustine says something really beautiful. He says something which has been paraphrased by many, that if, if, if you or I were the only person on the face of the earth, God would still have chosen to come and to die for you. And then if he, otherwise, he's also said, God loves each one of us as if there were only one, as if there's only one of us. That is the extent of the love of God, right? And, and this is the driving force that drives God towards becoming human to go through every step of life with humanity, to go through, to go through birth, through childhood, through poverty, through being orphaned, etc., 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 and ultimately through being, you know, tortured and dying. And... Another person in history 
who used to think all of this was rubbish. He, 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 would, he, he thought this was actually worse than rubbish. He thought that this was a plague that needed to be eradicated off the face of the earth. His name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And when he met Christ, his opinion changed completely. In fact, later on, he writes and he says, I have counted all things as rubbish for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, what could possibly cause somebody to have such a drastic change of opinion? And he describes it here when he says, may we have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That's Paul's prayer for a church in a place called Ephesus. That's my prayer for myself and for you tonight, that we would have a, 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 better, a better grasp of the extents of the love of this God. Now that kind of answers the question briefly of why. Why did Jesus come to us? Why did he become human? Why did he come to the earth, right? But probably a, 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 a more kind of complicated question and might be interesting to ask is how? How does he come? And I mean, how does God, who is unlimited, omnipresent, omniscient, omni-everything, how does he then take the form of a limited human being. And then what does that mean? Does he continue to be omniscient, omnipresent, omni or not? And how does all of that, how does all of that work? Well, you know, I'm not the person who really answers these questions, right? But I love reading what they have to say. Folks got together in the fourth century and started answering and started answering these questions as soon as, you know, like you know, wild persecution against Christians started to end. They had like the time and space to ask these questions and to start answering them. And they got together in councils and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And they get together in the Council of Nicaea and they try to, they try to give a clearer definition, clearer talking points to, you know, what does this, what does this all really mean? What lines can, are there really drawn in the sand? And the stuff they say about Jesus goes something like this. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not created, of one essence with the Father, by whom all things were made who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary and became man. And he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, suffered and was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. He sits at the right hand of his father and he is coming again in his glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. That's their description of Jesus, where he came from, how he came, what he came to do, what he did while he was here, where he went to, and when he's coming again. And um, St. Basil the Great describes the birth of Christ as probably the most important event in the history of humanity, both up until then and from then to come. And he kind of calls it the birthday of humanity. It's from then that Saint, that like another great saint of those times, Saint Cyril the Great, um, also named Pillar of the Faith, says, 
that what, what Jesus did in becoming human, kind of an, from a cosmic perspective or like a mystical perspective, or kind of think like, think like Den Dungeons and Dragons for a moment, okay? Right? That our humanities, we've been talking about how humanity is fragmented. Cain is killing Abel, people are at war, humanity is destroying itself. This unlimited God comes and collects up all of the pieces of this busted up humanity that are fragmented and that are, are displaced from each other. You know, like if you, see you have a, a fracture, you know, you break a bone, or is it displaced or not displaced? They're, and, and they're all distracted from each other. He gathers all of humanity up in his humanity and reconstitutes or recapitulates that, that whole humanity. And that's, from a cosmic perspective, that is, the great, that is the great work of Christ in his coming and his becoming human. Here's a few dates for you, for people who really like dates and really like this stuff. So Nicaea was in about 325, and, and they kind of defined the Trinity and the divinity of Christ, and what does all that mean? And then further questions came up that got answered in smaller councils, but they kind of hit the nail home, or... Uh, in, uh, in, in Constantinople in about 359 AD and completed the work on the Trinity. And then various other questions came up between then and a little bit later in 431 AD about the Virgin Mary um, as being the mother of God or the mother of Christ and what does that really mean and so on. And so, um, and so there was a council about that in 431, um, in 431 AD. And those are probably, you know... Um, you know, if you're a history buff, those are probably a pretty good place to start. There's this saying in Orthodoxy that kind of sums up all of this, right? It goes something like this, only God can save us. Like there's 7 billion people on the earth right now. And then if you go back for however long the earth has been around, whether you're a new earth or an old earth person or whatever you believe about that, and all of the people that will come from now until the end of times, right? So all of those people, it's like an unlimited number of people or so it would seem, only God would have the capacity to save every single one of those people. So only God can save us and Christ is fully divine. But he was also human and so he was able to reach us to the point of our human need. Only somebody like me knows what I'm going through. Only somebody who has the capacity to be in the same position that I'm in, or even better yet, someone who's already been in the same position as I've been in. The first thing that, that rolls off my tongue the first time I'm going through something really difficult is you don't understand. Somebody comes to comfort you, you don't understand, right? Why? Because we, we do that because we have the sense of isolation that surrounds us in, in, in our suffering right and we feel isolated we feel that we're sort of like a lonely person on a lonely planet you know we're the only person on mars and the only person who's experiencing this jesus came to give rational maybe not emotional but at the very least rational evidence to the opposite of that so what does he do he comes and he's born he's born as the story goes in a manger in in in, in a stinky stanky manger like a manger is a feeding trough for animals right i don't know if you've ever been in a stable or been in one recently go to riverdale farm in the you know in 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 north riverdale here right it reeks of manure 
That's what he was born in. You ever tried sleeping on hay? You ever tried taking a nap on the grass? It's great until something starts tickling your ear or tickling your, your, your Achilles tendon, right? Right where your socks like end and your trousers, right? That, that little gap, right? Somehow a, a blade of grass always manages to make its way in there and prevent me from, right? He's born in a, in a stinky, stanky manger. He's poor. He's the son of an orphan girl. His adoptive father dies when he's 12. And he lives this life of, of poverty, of hard work, of working with his hands, right? And he grows up and he grows up and he does marvelous things. He heals people. He meets people where they are and he does great things for them. You know, he raises the dead. Four people or so were raised from the dead by Jesus and many more since, right? He's a friend of all. At one point, this, this widow is putting two pennies in, uh, in the treasury, in the temple, and everybody's kind of looking at her and kind of saying, like, what, what, are two, what are two pennies? And he looks and he says, this woman has given more than all the rest because she gave all that she had, whereas everyone else gives from their abundance and only gives a little. He could identify with people. He could see people where they were at and he could join them there. That's the ultimate message of tonight is that he reveals, Jesus reveals the, the character of God. So before Jesus was ever born, right? There's something that says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, speaking about Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, in the embrace of the Father, he has revealed him. So the two main reasons he came are, one, to do this cosmic recapitulation that we were talking about of bringing humanity all back together again, like a smashed piece of, of, of sculpture or something, and he's putting this priceless piece of work back together again. We'll talk a little bit about that at the very end. And the second reason was to reveal to us the character of God. And he does that by having an eye-to-eye -eye relationship with us, not a top-down relationship with us, and joining humanity in all of humanity's experiences, both the happy and the sad. Jesus wept. Jesus' friend dies. He stands at the grave and he weeps. Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he weeps and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem great city how much i wished the potential that you had that i wished for you and the ultimate the the ultimate sorrow the ultimate end that no one really looks forward to in fact nobody 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 sees any joy in nobody looks to with anticipate with a you know a joyous anticipation is death and he says I'll die. And he dies. He doesn't die a graceful death. He doesn't die a happy death. He dies crucified. Now, a couple of things are very interesting to note here. One is this loincloth is because most Christian artists are a bit shy to draw Jesus how he would have really been crucified, which is without the loincloth. Um, so he dies shamed, naked. The second thing is that this is Jesus's last public appearance. 
You know, your first impression is really important and your last impression is probably really important. Jesus rises from the dead, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but he only appears to about four or five hundred people, five hundred people. He at various times. Jesus' last public appearance to the world was this appearance. Because this is what he wants the world to remember. He wants the world to remember that in your deepest, darkest moment, I was there. If you're uh, following along in, in, our, in, in, the, in the little notebook handbook thing, I'm sort of on pages 22 and 23. Um, and um, if, um, if you want something more to read, but you want something a lot shorter than the stuff that, we, that, uh, that was suggested, there's this little book um, out there called uh, Why Does God Allow Suffering? And uh, on page 26, there is this little playette called The Long Silence. I can't encourage you enough to read it. Um, and if they run out, uh, we, can, uh, we can QR code this as well so that, uh, so that you, can, uh, you can download it. And it's just, it's just a couple of pages in this tiny book, right? But it really kind of is a very creative demonstration of what it means that Jesus wants to accompany us in our deepest and darkest moments, and hence he chooses to die a, the most abominable of deaths. You know, uh, in palliative care, a lot of research has been done in what do people fear the most in death. And study after study, time and time again, and it's no longer really studied that much because it's considered pretty tr universally true, the two things that people fear the most are dying alone and dying in pain. Jesus made sure to die both alone and in pain so that no one else would have to say they're going through it alone. But the story doesn't end there. He rises from the dead. So with the tomb shut, as you can see in this icon, these are like pictorial representations that we use in church. They're meant not to be true to life. They're meant because they're not intended to be taken as a historical document. They're meant to be like pictorial representations um, of spiritual truth, right? Uh, and so the tomb is shut and a, there's a great light and when they open the tomb, Jesus isn't there. His grave clothes are neatly folded. Angels speak to, the, to those who are coming to visit the tomb and tell them he is not here. He is risen. He told you he would rise. Why didn't you believe him? Go to Galilee and there you will meet him. So you're listening to all this stuff and you know that some of it may be familiar or it may all be new and you might be um, kind of scratching your head. I mean, I, when I think about this stuff also deeply enough, I start to scratch my head. Oh, that's not supposed to be there. Um, and uh, you know, and so um, what does this all mean and what does it mean to you and what does it mean to me, right? And Sometimes in, in, in life, we find ourselves kind of looking for, looking for the deeper meaning of certain events that happen in our lives and asking ourselves, like, how did I kind of end up here? Feeling just a little bit lost. Um, and that's not, you know, that's not uncommon. And I think, like, if we're going to be honest, everybody goes through things like that. I feel like I go through things like that on a weekly basis. And sometimes you're just waiting for, and oftentimes it happens, for somebody to just reach out and lend a hand. And that's exactly 
That's exactly what Jesus does in coming to us. He reaches down by coming himself to be a human, just like you, just like me, as well as being fully divine and to lend a hand. And this idea of lending a hand is not only like an expression that is used, but it's also picturally represented um, in, uh, in, in our kind of pictures and iconography. And in this icon uh, of Jesus, right before he rises from the dead, you see him here lending a hand. So what's, what's the story exactly with this icon? So Jesus dies, and well, what does he do for, for three days while he is dead in the tomb. His soul goes down to Hades, where every soul had gone to from before. And there in Hades, he meets all of the people who are there, including Adam and Eve, as, as, as depicted here. And Adam and Eve are, are sort of representative here of sort of the all of humanity. And he, and he, he shares with them, he shares with them that he is willing to bring them to paradise if they'll only follow him. And you can see here, like, and this is all intentional, that everybody's eyes are on Jesus, right? Um, and so it's, it's supposed to be d demonstrative of the fact that this Jesus is coming to us, his, his revealing evidence of his love for humanity destroys the selfishness that got us into this mess in the first place. Their eyes are no longer on themselves, their eyes are on him. And he's lifting them out, and you can see these are like graves, you know, they're kind of like in graves, and he's standing on the, on, on the doors of Hades, he's crushed the doors of Hades, and he's reaching out to them, and he's telling them, do you trust me? Will you come with me? In the very beginning, when God created the world, he saw that it was good. In fact, he saw that it was very good. And the rupture of this trust and the rupture of this relationship led to death. A, a, you know, a story to close with is also from, the, from that book by St. Athanasius on the Incarnation. He gives us example. He says, he says, a rich man calls an artist and asks him to paint a portrait of him. And so he paints a portrait of him, beautiful portrait of him, priceless portrait of him. Let's say it's kind of like, or her, let's say it's like the Mona Lisa. And then some catastrophe happens, the place burns down, something, okay? And the image is distorted. It's the image is, is ruined. Now, what would happen if a fire broke out in the Louvre and the Mona Lisa was, was ruined? I mean, they would just th throw it in a dumpster, right? And they just carry on? Of course not, it's priceless. What would they do if, if they could? They would get the artist, they would get the model and they'd have the model sit. They'd have the artist go to work on the original piece and restore it. The creator of the universe, as we understand it, is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. He is the artist of creation. And when he comes to create creation, he creates it beautifully. And when he comes to create humanity, he says, let us create man, humanity, in our image and likeness. So humanity is created as a mirror image of, of Christ. So he is both the artist and the model. So the image is distorted in the world. 
humanity is destroying itself. He comes, the model, and is incarnate. He comes as the artist, and he reconstitutes, he restores that image once again. That's it for tonight. The uh, book suggestions are here for you, and we'll end with a short video clip from Aladdin. The, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll use it, we'll use, you will use the movie that just came out instead of the, the cartoon, although I kind of like both equally, to be honest. And, um, and uh, at, at one point, Aladdin kind of magically appears on, on uh, the mag a magic carpet at the balcony of Jasmine, and he reaches his hand out to her, and he says to her, do you trust me? And if you trust me, I will take you on this magical adventure into a whole new world. <laughs>